Welcome to the RotoRob.com Fantasy Football Weekly plus ATS Picks. Each week, your hosts, Josh Johnson and Nick Wagner, will give you the goods to help you win your fantasy football crowd. Talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? You cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot cope with them. All right. That was a little Mike Singletary at the end of that uh, from an infamous, infamous uh, press conference. Sorry. Uh, last four words there. Uh, this is the Roto Rob Fantasy Football Weekly plus ATS picks. I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is my gracious co-host who makes me look good each and every week. Uh, his name is Nick. Hail to the Redskins, Wagner. It's been a while. We've not been playing. Fight for all D.C. You guys need a coach, bud. What's up with there? Yeah, I'm hearing that uh, Jay Gruden's the front runner right there. I don't know what I think about that yet, but we'll probably touch on that later when we talk oh. about the Bengals game. Uh, and I've heard they've, uh, is it them who has interviewed like 11 different coaches already? Yeah, they've really, uh, interviewed at least six or seven, and I wanted to interview at least five more, so... <laughs> Okay, well, you can't have Dennis Allen, or you can't have Leslie Frazier. I was a little surprised that he was uh, scooped up so fast, but uh, I know he's got a good rapport with Lovey Smith, so uh, they obviously got a plan down there in Tampa. Um, uh, v, the Noble should be joining us uh, momentarily. Um, we also are going to talk about uh, the Jay Cutler contract extension, uh, Michael Vick, talk a little bit about what's going on with this crazy situation in Miami, uh, talk about all the playoff games of this weekend, and obviously do our ATS picks for this upcoming weekend, um, and then I got uh, uh, Connor Tapp from Garnet Black, from the GarnetAndBlackAttack.com coming on to talk about uh, Jadavian Clowney's uh, draft stock. Uh, the Garnet and Black Attack is a uh, website, uh, obviously a South Carolina Gamecocks blog, and uh, Connor Tatt there is the editor there, so he's going to be joining us here in the in the middle of the show to talk about that. Um, Nick's going to rant about uh, another quarterback, we'll say, and I hope V's on for that, Nick, because I think I might be disagreeing with you there, so we might need a judge. Um, and like I said, we'll get to uh, the ATS picks and uh, a little bit of trivia later. So, um um, I was just going to say a few things. Uh, I know this is a professional football show, but we do talk a little bit about college. Uh, I want to congratulate the Florida State Seminoles on the BCS National Championship. Um, uh, I myself am a big, big fan of theirs, and they just escaped with that victory. If you watched that game, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, they certainly escaped with that victory. Uh, if you've been to Rota Rob within the last 48 hours, you know that uh, the football awards are up. Uh, me, Nick, uh, V, and um, 
Rob as well all collaborated on that. So make sure you go check that out right now. Um, and our, um, our mock drafts for the non-playoff teams should be up at some point in time this week as well. Uh, Roto Rob's Fantasy Baseball Podcast will be back up and going tomorrow night. Uh, Rob is going to be joined uh, by V as well on that tomorrow night. So make sure you uh, check that out. They're going to be talking about uh, the Hall of Fame. Looks like uh, Greg Max, Tom Glavin, and Frank Thomas are getting in. The rest of the Roids or not. So, uh, moving on. What do you think about this uh, Jay Cutler contract extension, Nick? Well, I guess when the best free agent quarterback available is Michael Vick and you don't have a high enough draft pick to take one of the top three quarterbacks in the draft, you pretty much have to roll with Cutler. You know, it's a seven-year, $126 million deal, but really it's only a three- to four-year deal. It's $54 million guaranteed over the first three years with team options from there on out. Now, if Josh McCown was uh, 29 instead of in his mid-30s, this would have probably played out differently. But I think Jay Cutler is more ready to win now with the Bears than anybody they could realistically go out and get. So I guess you have to say it's a good move-ish. <laughs> okay, well... Um... I promised you one thing, and it's going to happen. We're joined by the the normal one. What's up, V? Uh-oh. I love theme music. It's so great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you hear Hail to the Redskins earlier? I missed that one. I'm sorry, Nick. I missed that one. We'll get We'll get it for you sometime. We got it. We got it saved on the dock. So, um, what do you think about this Jay Cutler contract extension, V? Uh, well, you know, like it was just explained really well. And you know, my first thought when you see the, you know, seven years, one twenty-seven, is are you nuts? You know, but you know, the thing with with uh, NFL contracts more than probably any other sport is you really got to dig into it. There's usually not much guaranteed, and this is one of those cases where it just seems bigger than what it is. I mean, quite honestly, I have a hard time seeing Jay Cutler playing past three years, period, and that's really with the part that's really the part of the contract that's guaranteed, or at least a portion of that. He didn't he didn't get a signing bonus, uh, so there's not a whole lot there. And then even past the three or four years, most of the um guarantee is based on injury. Um out of ways for Chicago to be able to get out of this. I don't see him paying past three or four years anyway with the beatings that he takes I mean, if he gets concussed one or two more times, you're going to have a Kevin Cobb situation um, where he's going to be done anyway. So, I, 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 I mean, I, it makes sense. I mean, like I said, I mean, Mike Vick is is, is the best option in free agency. You can't, you don't have a play on any of those quarterbacks. And we're really talking about two that would justify you getting rid of a Jay Cutler um, in the draft anyway. And you don't have a shot at either one of those players. So, it, I think given that, given all of that, it makes sense. Yeah, especially when, you know, they already have good players in tow, uh, you know, good receivers in tow. Why, why start over new as a quarterback at this point? Um, you know, I know they're, they've got a new coach there. You know, he's only been there one year, but they're, they're not, they don't want to take another step back when they essentially just missed the playoffs this year. So they could, uh, you know, they could certainly be a, a playoff team next year. I don't think anybody would be surprised if they won the division either. Um, speaking of Michael Vick... Nick, where's Michael Vick going to be next year? And will he be a starter? Well, he said he wants to start. I think it just depends on he has to decide does he want to start or does he want to play for a contender, you know? 
I think he might get a chance to compete for a job if he goes to, like, Tampa Bay, Cleveland, Minnesota, Oakland, possibly Houston, but his best chance for success is to stay in Philly. Uh, the best chance, other than Philly, the best fit for him, I think, could be Houston if the Texans decide to wait until round two or three for a quarterback and go to the Davian Clowney, number one, but... Ultimately, I see Michael Vick testing the market, not seeing a better fit than the Eagles, and probably re-signing. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Tampa. That sounds kind of interesting. That wouldn't wouldn't be a wouldn't be a bad spot for him to let Mike Glennon maybe grow for a year. What do you think, V? Where's Michael Vick going to be next year? Um, I think the trick is with Michael Vick is that I don't think he can be a a, a place where the person needs an all-out new quarterback. I, I think it has to be a competition situation where you're iffy on your quarterback. So that's why I think places like Houston might be out just for the simple fact that you pretty much alienated both your quarterbacks and you got to start over and you might as well do it while you have the latitude, you know. Um, I think where he's going to make the biggest fit is where the situation where he can come in and compete for a position where he might just be iffy on a person like a Tennessee with like a, you know, Jake Locker, you know, that type of thing. Or you might see, I mean, even at Jacksonville, where they're not necessarily sold on handy, but he's serviceable. Um, again, Tampa, you know, where you have somebody that's serviceable. Even Cleveland, I think, might even have a shot. Because I think two things have to happen. Number one, I think you have to have a serviceable quarterback just in case it doesn't work out and he doesn't fit in the system. And number two, I think you have to be an organization that is a little bit needy for attention. And I think if you're talking about a Jacksonville or Tennessee or, or a Cleveland or something like that, they're going to want that type of competition, that, that type of competition, that type of energy coming. I don't think most other teams that, that either need to start completely over or have a quarterback that they somewhat believe in want that type of energy in their uh, in their uh, camps. So that, those are the teams that I think probably have the, he has the best shot at getting with. Uh, yeah, so he's certainly not going back to Atlanta. I think we can establish that. Um, you know, Oakland wouldn't be a bad idea, and I'm, and I'm going to say something not so nice here, but maybe if he went to Oakland and started next year, Terrell Pryor could sit there and watch him make mistakes and hopefully not replicate them. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, would, I don't think that would be a, a, a bad solution there. I don't think Pryor has nearly the, the big arm that Vic does, but uh, – I. I could certainly see that working, but uh, you know, Vic's gonna certainly want want some money too, and that I don't know who's who's gonna give it to him. I don't, I, I have a hard time believing he's gonna sign with somebody if they don't say you're gonna be our starter and I'll sign the contract. I don't, I don't, I don't. I could see him possibly out of football next year. That's, I guess, that's just my. Um, Dolphins fired OC uh, offensive coordinator Mike Sherman. Um, I guess they needed somebody to be the fall guy, and they followed up by uh, firing their GM yesterday, too. Um, you know, I understand the GM, but how can you blame an offensive coordinator for missing the playoffs when you basically had two-thirds of your offensive line, Nick? Well, you know, when you lead the league in sacks allowed, that's kind of tough to keep the offensive coordinator. And there's also rumors coming out of there that uh, – the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, had a little hand in that, saying that he had lost faith in the offense coordinator system. So, you know, mm-hmm. if your quarterback doesn't believe in the offense, it's kind of tough to keep it. That's true. What do you think about that situation in Miami? Well, I mean, you know, heads had to roll. People had to go. I mean, you know, I think the, I think the GM slide, I think that was going to go anyway. Um, just because the last couple of years, I think mean, there's been some pretty significant missteps. But, you know, when you're talking about the offense, when you have a situation with a team, if the team is bad, you got to get rid of the coach. 
if if one side of the coin you got a pretty pretty decent defense, but you got a pretty weak offense, and you're not going to fire the coach. There's only one other person that you're going to fire that's going to make any type of ripple effect to either give some confidence back to your uh, team or to, or to give some assurances to your fan base. So I, I think that just was more of a strategic one. And I think you want to when you have a young quarterback like that, I think you want to avoid that situation that you had and say. Um, a Pittsburgh where you have your quarterback clashing with your offensive coordinator. You just don't want that. At the end of the day, the uh, quarterback is a commodity, you know, and so if the quarterback doesn't feel comfortable, if your quarterback is getting beat up every single game nonstop, and and quite honestly, the the, the, the plays ever since they made that transition from being wildcat crazy into like a more conventional offense, it just, had, it just hasn't had any life, no creativity, hasn't had any pop. So I can understand why they feel that way. you got a guy like Wallace, and you you don't even run that many go routes, which is absurd. Yeah. What did you get them for? You know what I mean? So there's certain yeah. things that just didn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just, uh, I just feel like, you know, a team's such on the cusp. I mean, I know they really just peed down their legs those last couple of weeks. I just feel like they were certainly on the cusp of something, even considering how badly their offensive line played this year. I mean, I, I just – I don't get the fact of starting over. I think – I mean, obviously, if you bring in a new coach, he's going to bring in his guys. But I feel like I feel like the head coach should have got the axe, and maybe not the offensive coordinator. Maybe let that maybe let that head roll with whoever else is coming in next. Um, um, and I think there might be uh, a new uh, there might be new uniforms again in Miami next year. They might be getting grass green jerseys, so Tannehill can. Uh, not to have to watch that sport so much, um, but uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we had some amazing games last weekend. Um, I said last week that the biggest margin of victory was going to be in the Cincinnati-San Diego game, and indeed it was, um, not, unfortunately, the way I was thinking. But uh, what about the injuries piling up as the Chiefs blow a 28 28- Point lead. What are your thoughts there on that game, Nick? Well, you know, it's tough to run the clock when you're number one and your number two running backs get hurt on top of all the other injuries they've sustained in that game. But uh, the big thing I took away from this game was that it was just really neat to see Andrew Luck perhaps writing the first page of his legacy, and it's pretty rare to see a comeback like that in postseason. I believe it's the second biggest comeback of all time. Uh, the Patriots' defense better come ready to play this Colts offense. V, what did you think about that game? Uh, it is a second to the uh, Buffalo Bills uh, in the postseason there against the Oilers, 1992. That was one of my uh, favorite memories of my life. And so uh, that it, it definitely was a legacy game. I mean, you know, he's a comeback kid at this point. Now, I, I don't necessarily like this trend of him putting himself in positions to where you need to come back like this because in a game of this magnitude, you throw three picks, and, and two of the picks were completely inexplicable. You throw three picks like that, particularly going against a, a defense like this, how they normally play, you're losing that game by a mile, which they were. Um, I, the, the injuries obviously helped them out, but I, what I think it really did was, it, I mean, it exposed a, a huge issue of, of, of depth um, with the Chiefs. You should not have a drop-off that's that significant. That's not to say that you hold a team with that type of offense the entire game, but to go that many unanswered, it's, I, I, can't even, I can't even fathom how that happens. Um, yeah. But what I will what I will say though is is that I I do think with Andrew Luck and I think with T Y Hilton I think you you seeing that connection and it's really Peyton Manning esque I hate to even go back to that 
but it's starting to look that way. I mean, he's starting to develop relationships with that Marvin Harrison, Peyton type thing, and it's just, it just, it just, it just looks right. I didn't think it would be, but it looks right. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. And you know, I, I don't know if I could, I can't necessarily think of a quarterback. Maybe John Elway that would have the presence of mind that Luck displayed when he picked up that fumble and, and just lunged towards the end zone. I think most quarterbacks would just kind of be back back on their heels watching that play develop, and Luck was just right there, didn't miss a beat, and ultimately made a very, a very big play. I mean, how, how can your team not rally around something like that? When that, when that happened, I was just like, oh, man, this, is, this game is done for KC. I know they didn't, that didn't give them the lead, but I just thought, oh, man, everything is going right for this team, and it's no, I got to tell you, I have, I have family that does KC fans, huge KC fans. We're watching the game. It's at halftime. You know, people start cooking the game, eating, feeling good. It's over. We're done. You know, who's up next? And I am a Bills fan, which means I absolutely, positively know the signs of buckling. I know what it looks like. And there's certain sequences that happen, and football is a game of inches, and if you don't believe that, you watch this game, you'll know it. When, you know, two inches in that fumble recovery is out of bounds and they get that ball back in, in pretty decent uh, space. If that ball bounces left instead of right or one inch or one up down, he doesn't put that back in the same way. If, if you know, if, if this person doesn't make this tackle, they run the one of those interceptions back for a touchdown. And I see it happening, and you just knew that it is just absolutely over these guys don't have it. And once you lose player after player, I mean, you can see it shatter, and I saw hearts breaking around me, and it was a very familiar scene for me. I felt bad for them, but I, I, I absolutely saw it happen. Yeah, you know, and another thing I took away from that game, obviously the Colts' offense was very nice, but the Colts' defense gave up a, a lot of points to an offense that continued to lose players in Kansas City that, let's face it, has taken a lot of heat that they couldn't, you know, score with the big boys all year long. So, I mean, that Colts defense, yeah, they have some great players. You know, Mathis rushing from the outside. But, uh, you know, they got they got Tom Brady next up on, on the gamut, and I think a, a lot of us respect him a lot more than we respect Alex Smith. Um, moving on, the Saints, the first road win in franchise history. They go to Philadelphia and win. Nick, what do you think? Well, this game was a big shocker to me over the weekend. The Saints have struggled on the road all year long, and then they go into Philadelphia and beat a red-hot Eagles team. Uh, From what I heard, the Philadelphia defensive coaches didn't expect New Orleans to go so run-heavy, even with the weather conditions the way they were. So I think just not being prepared for that pretty much cost them the game. Uh, You know, the year in general was kind of a learning experience for Chip Kelly, but I think he's one of the smartest guys around the league, and this should be an Eagles team that's contending for division titles for years to come probably. Now, the Saints this week moving on to Seattle, uh, it's a different story going on the road all the way across the country to play in probably the toughest stadium in the the league. I don't see them probably having as much success this week, but who knows. All right, V. What do you think about the big New Orleans win in Philly? You know, I'm not. I'm not as surprised as, as maybe some people were. You know, it's one of. I, I did appreciate you know the, the the run attack, and I and to me that just shows the sign of maturity from the Saints in general. That that at the end of the day, I don't care who you are, 
you want to keep your quarterback from throwing under 45, 50 times. You know what I mean? And don't get me wrong, Drew Brees is one of those guys that if you had to do it, he's one of the two or three guys that, that I would have do it. But it just makes sense to try to run, particularly – when you, when, particularly when you have a pretty a, a decent power rusher who who actually overachieved a little bit, and, um, and and Mark Ingram, I mean he was like he was moving man, and and, and yards after contact, uh, uh, I mean was considerable. So I, I'm not necessarily surprised they had always been on the cusp. It's not like they were getting blown out in a lot of these games. I mean they were able to win it. They just couldn't pull up that last play. So I'm not so much surprised by that. I am also impressed by Philly though. I, one thing about Chip Kelly because I, I typically don't like. College, coach, college coaches coming to the NFL, and usually for the reason because they try to bring um, a, a college play scheme and they don't change it at all. And that's usually my issue. The one thing about Chip Kelly, he came in the first three games, the first three or four games, he struggled a little bit, even though their offense was doing – well, actually their offense was doing pretty well, but then he started to struggle a little bit. And I like the fact that he actually made some adjustments. He changed. He did some things different. That snow game where you really saw Shady McCoy really go crazy, he really stuck with that. And I really like the idea of him not getting ahead of himself and changing when he didn't need to and adjusting when he did need to. So I do think Philly is going to be um, in the thick of things for, for some time. But uh, I'm, I'm not surprised by the Saints. I mean, I think it was just their time to break that. Yeah, it, it was certainly a matter of time. Um, that was the game that I really had the hardest time picking. I went, I went with the home team, and uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it was just, just kind of a coin flip, and I, I expected that game to be very even uh, as it was. And one, you know, one person made made a big play, and that, and that's uh, that was ultimately the the end of it. Um, yeah, Philly certainly took a lot of good things away from this season. Um, uh, like you said, the Saints showed a lot of maturity in running the ball. You don't want your quarterback dropping back that many times. You open yourself up to interceptions or your quarterback getting sacked or, you know, big hits or whatnot. So the um, we'll see what kind of game plan they have in Seattle. I hope they have a much different game plan than they had before. Um, you know, they they really need to come out and somehow get a lead in that game and uh, maybe try to do that same thing again. But uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that game later. Um Bengals undefeated at home, no more. Nick, what are your thoughts on the big Chargers win? Well, you know, like you said, the Bengals were undefeated at home. They've improved by one game each of the last two years, going from winning 9 to 10 to 11 games this year, but still the playoff drought win continues. Um, you know, we'll ignore Dalton for the moment, but the Cincinnati game plan just confused me. Nothing but short passes all day long. If you take away the Marvin Jones 49-yard catch, the Bengals' longest game through the air was 17 yards. A.J. Green only had three catches for 34 yards. I think Jay Gruden might have hurt his chances of landing a head coaching job. I kind of hope so. I really am not high on him being the Redskins' next coach. But uh, I question his talent evaluating skills, for one. Case in point, the 50-50 split between Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, and Giovanni Bernard this year, even though Bernard makes the offense much more explosive. You know, but uh, switching to the Chargers, Phillip Rivers, the savvy veteran, played pretty much mistake-free football. Nothing flashy, just 12 for 16, but, you know, it's so solid and didn't make the mistakes that cost teams in the playoffs. Uh, their tight end, Ladarius Green, is just a beast on those red zone fade routes. If you throw it high enough, there's no corner in the league that is big enough to take the ball away from it. And also, uh, there's a Ronnie Brown sighting, the former number two overall pick at 77 yards. Normally, that wouldn't be a noteworthy stat, except that he only had 157 over the entire regular season. 
So maybe he's maybe they were saving him. Who knows? But it'll be interesting to see them go into Denver for this division matchup. Yeah, yeah. I think Brown broke a big 50-yard run at the end of that game. But, uh, yeah, maybe he was just excited about those Auburn Tigers being the national championship game. I don't know. Um uh, yeah, the one thing that just surprised me, I didn't unfortunately get to watch that game because I was at work, but I saw the final score, and then you look at the stats, and, like, San Diego had no offense. They didn't have, you know, Brown had the 77 yards, and I think Woodhead and Matthews each had 50. So, yes, they had a decent running attack as a whole, but they just didn't have a huge offensive explosion. Um, Cincinnati did, of course, you know, uh, Dalton ultimately had those two picks, and he's getting hammered now because of it. But, uh, yeah, that just kind of surprised me about that game. And, uh, once again, San Diego continues to be the toughest team in the league to pick week to week. I cannot figure out what that team does. I won't be surprised if they go into Denver and win by a touchdown or lose by 21. I I really won't. V, what do you think about that game? You know, Phillip Rivers, is just he's got his swag right now, man. He's just he's just really I mean, the team I honestly this is a super scary team right now. Because you're dealing with a guy who understands what it's like to be successful but understands what it's like to fall short and for for whatever reason, you know, he hasn't had a real connection, you know, with O C S and things like that, um, as of late. And now it just seems like they're humming. He's got his swagger back. Um, it's scary. I will watch out for them. Andy Dalton is one of those guys that he's really on the cusp of being a good quarterback and you just wonder or, or, or a really good quarterback, you just wonder, is, is he going to get it? Is he going to be able to eliminate that, that you know, that pick or two? It just comes in the wrong place at the wrong time. We talked about it, I think, even last week, and we, we talk about it sometimes with Romo. The guy really doesn't throw picks like people think he does. He's not really a Brett Favre, you know, when you really dig into the numbers. But he throws them at the worst possible time. <laughs> Possibly, like I don't, I don't even know how he does it. it. It makes you feel like it's, it's, it's rigged. Like how could you possibly do that right now? And Andy Dalton has that in him, where you just say to yourself, how do you throw that? How do you do that right now? Where you have a lot of options, you have checkdowns open, you know, intermediate routes open. You can throw it out of bounds, and for whatever reason, he just tries to do something crazy. But um, I, I do think they'll make it back. They'll be fine with AJ Green. He's flypaper. Um, they got a pretty decent defense. I mean, they'll be fine. I just hope that he can make those adjustments that he needs to make. But um, San, Di- uh, San Diego is uh, is scary. Uh, uh, Denver does need to be on point with them. Oh, yeah, I just I don't know. I, I, I continue to struggle with trying to figure out what that team is going to do. Um, uh, Niners, sorry. Niners escape Lamble. I think that makes the Niners maybe the most dangerous team in the playoffs right now. All these, I know, I know they're not a top two seed, uh, but those teams had to sit down on their butts for a week and maybe lose some momentum. Uh, are the 49ers hot? And what do you think about uh, the escape there, Nick? Well, you know, I think that they were the defending NFC champs, so they were always dangerous even going into this game, the 49ers. But I actually think that they and the Colts and Saints, for that matter, might have some issues this week just because super close games in the playoffs can be so emotionally draining to a team. But uh, that being said, with the 49ers, this is a very well-coached team with Jim Harbaugh. I think he's an emotional guy, and he'll have his guys ready to play again this week. I actually would give the 49ers probably the best chance of all the road teams to win this week. 
uh, Green Bay, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it was just a tough year for Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers getting hurt. He wasn't probably fully feeling it by the time he came back and didn't have time to really get in the rhythm before the playoffs started. So you got to figure they'll be tough and contending again in the NFC North next year. But Yeah, yeah, I think Green Bay was really smoking mirrors towards the end of the year. Uh, just kind of sliding into the playoffs under the radar. What did you think about that game, V? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Green Bay was overachieving. You know, so, um, I mean, I think they did as, as good as to be expected. So, I don't necessarily say think that it says a whole lot about the Niners. I mean, I don't think they're any more dangerous, uh, or at least I don't think they're any more dangerous than I probably thought going into that game. Honestly, coming out of that game, the only thing I think was dangerous is the head coach of the 49ers saying that Crabtree is the greatest catcher of all time. Um, that's the most dangerous thing that happened that day. Um, I don't know how he mustered up the courage to say that, but I mean, I don't think it's any, I don't think it's you know any more different. I mean, they were dangerous. You let a, you let a quarterback run like that, and again, you're starting to see Kaepernick find that balance uh, where he's staying in the pocket, but he's throwing when it makes sense. Um, and you know, they're they're super dangerous, and the defense is you know has always been great. So I don't I, you know, like I said, I, I think what happened was what was supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah, I don't think this game would have been nearly that close if it would have been in San Francisco, and that is actually the next item up for bid. What uh, changes in the playoff format for the better team has the home game, not the division winner? What do you think about that, Nick? Yeah, I don't like it. I think going into the season for every team, the goal is to win your division. Division champs should be reward, rewarded with the home playoff games. I like the playoff format the way it is. The only change really that I would consider is if a team wins their division with a sub-500 record, like Seattle did a few years back at 7-9, and nine, I could see them getting booted for a more deserving team that went 10-6, and 11-5. But since when 7-9 Seattle did, with, did get in, they actually won a playoff game that year, I don't see the rule change happening anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with basically everything you said there. You got you got, if you win your division, you should be rewarded just because you know some other team won a couple more games, but they didn't win their division. I yeah, couldn't couldn't agree with you more. V, what do you think about that? I'm old school, baby. No way, no how. You can't touch it. You know what I mean? If you win, I mean you win your division. You win your division. You know that's just what it is. You know if you want if you want to be at home, well you know what you got to do. Yeah, so I watched um, a little bit of an extended interview with uh, Roger Godell this morning, and he was talking about, um, excuse me, about uh, adding one more playoff team as well. Um, you know, he said, you know, talked about how all so many games were undecided by week 17. You know, there were so many games that were so many playoff spots that were undecided, and if you could add just a little bit more to that mix, that would make make for, an, you know, an even better end to the season. V, what do you think about adding one more playoff team so the second seed is not going to buy? Well, I super hate it, honestly. I, I, I mean, I don't like the idea of adding another team. I, I, I just think, I, you know, it's one of those things where if it's not broke, don't fix it. I and mean, it's really not. I mean, you talk about a situation where what he's the, the reasoning why that he thought you might want to add a game is the reason why I think you absolutely should not add a game is the fact that it was undecided, is that so many teams were in the mix 
at the end of the year. So many teams had a chance, and you were engaged, and you were hopeful, and you needed this thing to happen and that thing to happen, and these people to lose and that people to win. And what that does with the NFL is the same thing that fantasy football does with it, which is why it's so great, is that it makes you engage in teams that you not, may not necessarily have any uh, interest in. And so now you have a Steelers fan that's watching the Ravens game with bated breath. To me, that's compelling and that's interesting. You shouldn't do it. And really, this is just a Jerry Jones thing to try to make it so that the Cowboys can get in the playoffs. And I think it's so nonsense. It makes me crazy that this is even seriously being batted around. And Johnson is probably one of the only owners in the NFL that's probably got the pull to get this crap done. So I'm a little perturbed about the whole concept. I like it. (laughs) <laughs> okay, um, I think we got Connor Tap on the line. We'll see what we'll see what he has to say here. One second, uh, Connor, are you there? I am. Hey, fellas. Okay. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, sorry to keep you on hold there for a second. Uh, well, we've had Connor uh, join us today because he is uh, the editor at Gar- the Garnet and Black Attack dot com, which is a uh, Sports or FB Nation blog for the University of South Carolina Athletics. Is that is that all correct, there, Connor? Uh, yeah, you nailed it. Okay, well, obviously we have you on for one major reason, and that's to talk about the, J- the J- Jadavian Clowney's draft stock. Uh, Todd McShay has him at number five, which kind of lit my eyes up because my Oakland Raiders have the fifth pick. I would absolutely love to see that. Uh, Connor, why don't you just talk, since you've seen him, you know, you've seen him play, obviously more than uh, uh, most people probably have. What what do you think about Clowney kind of, you know, just as the person and the player? And can he compete on this next level? You know, there is a little bit of some character issues that people keep bringing up. What do you think about Clowney? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll jump on the character issues first since that's, uh, I guess, the topic of the year as it concerns Clowney. And the, the funny thing about all that is, to me, if, if you ask any South Carolina coaches or any South Carolina fan if they are in any way upset with Jadavian Clowney in the manner in which he has conducted himself, the answer is going to be absolutely not. Uh, just yesterday, uh, defensive coordinator Lorenzo Ward uh, uh, was interviewed and was asked, you know, is there any, is there any merit to the concerns about Clowney's character issues? Is he taking plays off? Is he just trying to avoid injury um, uh, so that he can, you know, get to that, that NFL draft and get the big payday? And his answer was no, not at all. And uh, he pointed out that there's a reason that Jadavian Clowney made it onto the coaches' All-American team um, because they're they're putting in the tape every week and watching him play. And what they're seeing is opposing uh, uh, offensive coordinators double and triple teaming him, running away from him, and doing everything that they can to avoid uh, uh, having Jadavian Clowney absolutely ruin their offensive game plan. And and the the character issues, I believe, on a national stage, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I believe that the crux of it stems from uh, before the Kentucky game when there was a question about whether or not he held himself out of the game um, uh, against trainer's advice. And while I don't doubt that Jadavion Clowney probably could have communicated better what was going on with his injury status 
heading into that game. Uh, covering Steve Spurrier, uh, one thing that you need to know is the man is just very unattentive when it comes to uh, how much his players are injured and um, and uh, what exactly those injuries are. Um, it was, which isn't to say that he's like putting people in the game when they're badly injured. It's just that uh, it, it, it seems as though his process for understanding player injuries is just quickly asking the trainers before the game, you know, we got you, Damian? Nope. Okay. Or something <laughs> to that effect. Um, so, um, in, in fact, there's this uh, soundbite of him a couple of years ago referring to a player as having a slight brain contusion, which I don't <laughs> think is a medically possible thing. So that's just to set some context for Steve Sprayer and injuries. And there were two other players that had similar miscommunications with Spurriers about their injuries, uh, running back Brandon Wilds and Mike Davis, but because they're not quite on the level of Jadavian Clowney in terms of national stature, they didn't get quite pressed. Um, so I, I, that's all a very long-winded way of saying that um, I think nationally there's been con- some, some concern from the Paul Feinbaums and the Todd McChays, but uh, if you talk to people who deal with him day in and day out, I'd there is no concern whatsoever. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, with watching him every day, do you see certain te- a certain team or teams maybe being a better fit for him in the NFL? Um, you know, I'm not as well versed as what with what uh, you know certain NFL teams are looking to do or trying to do. I think. Ultimately, his best fit is probably with a team that uh, runs a four-three. Um, he could, I mean, he's definitely athletic enough to uh, be used in a three-four and maybe be, um, you know, hybrid DN's uh, outside linebacker. But I don't, I don't know that long-term that's the best fit for him. And honestly, I could not begin to tell you which NFL teams are running those defenses. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, I'm not much help there as far as where he might go uh, in the draft. Now, I know you don't follow him around with a scale or a ruler, but, you know, we've seen some guys listed at certain thing, heights and weights in college, you know, some guy's 6'5", 250 in college, and he gets to the combine, and all of a sudden he's 6'2 half, 230. Do you think there's any of that going on with Clowney? Do you think that you think he's they he is what they say he is? Yeah, I mean he's been pretty consistently at the same height and weight. I think uh, six seven two seventy five is probably the biggest he's been listed. I think during the season that probably got down into the uh, mid to high two sixties. But I I really don't think that there's any question uh, that that's legit? Um, I guess we'll find out for sure in the combine, but um, that that's been pretty consistent. And I don't think there's really any reason at this point to question the veracity of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think too many people are worried about the specs there. They just see what he does on the field. Um, v or Nick, you guys got any questions for Connor? Hello, uh, after you, Nick. Um, Do you have I any questions? Yeah. I, I, I'll just say that I would take him with the number one overall pick if I were the Houston Texans. Well, v? well, well, well. My name is. I have him going 
um, uh, six to the Falcons. Now, I, I have it that way in my mind, Jeff, not that he will actually go six because I actually think Atlanta will try to trade up to get him because I think that will probably be the best fit for him. I'm sorry. I know we want him in Oakland, but uh, that's what I see happening. But my question for you is, is more in regards to his motor. I, I don't really have questions, you know, about his, you know, attitude and things of that nature just because I don't think you know anybody's character until you drop $20 million on him. But um, what can you speak to in terms of his motor? He's been accused of taking some plays off in-game, kind of dialing it down a little bit. Um, what, what can you speak to about that? Yeah, and I, I think uh, it, that's probably a more legitimate concern at this point than some of the character issues, as you point out. And, uh, you know, he certainly didn't play every game. Now, or I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, he didn't play every snap of every game, and he was sitting on the sidelines for a few important drives here and there. But And, and that prompted, uh, uh, I believe, Josh Norris, of I'm shoot I'm forgetting which publication that he's with, but he's one of those guys covering the uh, the uh, NFL draft, and he he sort of did a study comparing like how many plays Clowney is out of the game versus uh, you know your top uh, you know your Jason Pierre Pauls and people like that Julius Peppers in the NFL, and and it's it's pretty comparable, um, and I think you know uh, I think though a legitimate issue with Clowney is that he is a little over-aggressive at times, and not only are teams using that against him in terms of, like, running screens towards his side of the field, and he's, you know, rushed all the way upfield, and then the Gamecocks are getting gashed for, you know, 15, 20 yards on uh, screen plays on third and 10, Um, and not only is that not a great outcome for the team, but, you know, he gets pretty exhausted trying to chase those down and you know, trying to run down, uh, you know, running plays that are going to the other side of the field. Um, so I, I don't know. And 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 another thing to keep in mind is that he was battling a bone spur uh, injury in his foot that he's had since high school that hasn't really been operated on. So I, I don't think that there's a conditioning issue. I think it's maybe more of an issue that when he gets to the NFL somebody needs to take him aside and, like, look, we get that you want to go out there and play hard and make every play, but, you know, this is a this is a game you're going to be playing, you know, 65, 70 snaps. Let's, you know, play smart here. Um, so I, I think that's probably more, a lot of the reason why you see him uh, looking gassed or winded in, in some of the games uh, in college. Okay. Um, is there any other any other Gamecocks that you want to talk about that are possibly going to be in the NFL draft? Uh, yeah. Well, there have been a number. I think the the underclassmen leaving for the NFL draft are mostly um, mostly the guys who um, are guys who might go early. Bruce Ellington might be the highest uh, projected pick after. Or, or, or probably Kelsey Quarles, the defensive tackle, who actually, uh, I believe, finished with nine and a half sacks as a defensive tackle, which is just absolutely insane. And a lot of that is because he's lining up next to Jadavian Clowney. So uh, those numbers are probably a little bit inflated because of the amount of attention that his teammate was getting. But um, you know, still, still a very good player. He's he, he's been somebody that's making been making an impact even 
before uh, Jadavian Clowney started getting the attention that he's getting now. Um, and, you know, he's a big, big dude with who plays with his belly hanging out of his jersey, which is just <laughs> a, uh, just something I always enjoy to see. I don't know that it, I guess it doesn't have any impact on the game, but it, it sure is intriguing. Um, and uh, so he's a guy to watch out for. Uh, I mentioned Bruce Ellington. He's coming out early as a uh, – he's a junior, but he's actually been – uh, on campus at South Carolina for four years, he he came on as a basketball player, and um, did actually didn't play football his first season. He just wasn't recruited as a football player, but turned out to be uh, our best wide receiver over the past uh, couple of years. Um, and he he's a smaller guy. He's probably going to be a slot receiver, but uh, he's a guy with just amazing amazing body control, great hands and short area quickness. And um, so he's somebody to keep an eye out for. And he's, of course, the uh, cousin of uh, um, Arizona running back Andre Ellington, um, who played at Clemson, interestingly enough. South Carolina is our tribal. Um, let's see, who else? Um, at Connor Shaw, the quarterback, maybe a late-round selection. Um, you know, he doesn't have the... Uh, build and tools and measurables that you normally like to see uh, from an NFL prospect, but he had a very productive career at South Carolina, and he's just one of those gamer types who coaches just love to have around their uh, program, uh, or I guess in the NFL, their franchise, um, who, um, you know, just very good teammate, good hard work ethic, uh, played through a lot of injuries, son of a coach, you know, all those kinds of things. Good guy to have around. Not necessarily, like I said, maybe maybe did take it in the seventh round, probably more likely an undrafted free agent type. Um, uh, Chaz Sutton, defensive end, and Ronald Patrick, uh, a uh, right guard, uh, two guys who are probably on the fringe of maybe making a roster, maybe not, but uh, I, I'm probably leaving somebody out. Oh, Victor Hansen, cornerback. Um, he he's a guy who um, will, will probably be a, maybe a, a fourth or fifth round projection. I would I would estimate. Um, you know, kind of raw. He he is a guy who actually has had some character issues um, in terms of. And mo- most of those were early in his career, but just every now and then he would be suspended for the first quarter of the game, and it'd just be like, Victor, come on, what's going on, buddy? Um, <laughs> but um, he was actually suspended for the uh, for one play in the Capital One Bowl. He's on there in play number two um, for violation of team rules. Um, so uh, they made their he, point. <laughs> what's that? I said they made their point there with that one. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that about covers it um, for the game packs that might get drafted. No, uh, you mentioned Ellington. It looks like he's they got him. He's kind of mid mid teens. Sports CBS Sports line has him ranked mid teens, maybe second third rounder. A uh, little receiver. Is he kind of comparable to uh, current Jacksonville Jaguar and former Gamecock uh, Ace Sanders? Uh, yeah, I would say that Ace is probably a little bit quicker. Maybe has that ability to make people miss a little bit more than Ellington does. Um, but, 
yeah, I, other than that, they're pretty comparable, I would say. I don't I don't know that Ellington is ever going to be, and I don't know if Ace was used in this capacity with Jacksonville, to be honest, uh, or if there's a plan to, but uh, he was a, Ace was a very excellent punt returner at South Carolina, and but I, I don't know that Bruce has the skill set to, to make people miss like that. Um, but other than that, yeah, I would say that they're pretty comparable. Okay. Well, uh, Connor, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Unless, Nick or V, got any other questions for you? Uh, you guys well, actually, good? I do have one more question. How uh, is it that he, Clowney is going with Bus Cook over Jay-Z and Rock Nation? <laughs> for his agent. What is going on there? How is that possible? Yeah. He was born yeah, in 93. That, yeah, that took me as a bit of surpri- as a surprise as well. Um, yeah, there's that big off-season story about him contacting Jay-Z. And then I think the day after he signed uh, with his agent, he actually went to a Jay-Z show in Columbia and was, like, hanging out backstage. And I guess it's pretty big of Hova to uh, look past that and uh, still embrace Clowney, even though he decided not to sign with him. But, yeah, I was a bit surprised by that one as well. I don't know how to explain it. Well, when you're worth a half a Billy, it's probably easy to forgive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Okay, well, Connor, I want to thank you so much for joining us again. It's Connor Tapp of the Garnet Black, Garnet and Black Attack dot com. Uh, hopefully, we can keep you on our Rolodex, and you guys will produce some, producing some more NFL talent next show. Thanks, thanks a lot, Connor. Have a good day. Yeah, fellas, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, moving on. It is time for Nick Rance. Uh, Nick. Still stuck in the quarterback phase, so uh, Nick, give it to us. Put your pants on and listen up. Well, you know, this, on the, up. <laughs> this is one of the hardest rants I've had to do because I've always really liked Andy Dalton. I enjoyed watching him play at TCU, go Horn Frogs, and I was high on him when Cincinnati drafted him. And while he's taken a lot of heat throughout his pro career, I've pretty much been a defender of Dalton. And to be honest, I still like him. Next year in fantasy leagues where I don't land a top quarterback, I'll be definitely targeting for a quarterback rotation slot. He was a top five fantasy quarterback this last year. And versus weaker opponents in low-pressure situations, Dalton really thrives. But when the pressure is on in big games, Dalton is folded time and time again. The playoffs just appear to be too big of a stage for him. And to my disbelief, he actually admitted as much after the game. He was uh, talking about the playoff atmosphere and uh, speaking about when they were down 20-10 to 10 with over 10 minutes left. He said, you get down two scores, but you still have so much time, but it might feel like you're down three or four scores. It's about being able to manage the emotion of the game. I mean, I could have ranted for the whole show about that comment. Maybe, maybe that could be excused from a rookie after his first playoff game. But, dude, you're a three-year starter. This is your third playoff game, and the stage is still too big for you. A quarterback has to be a leader on the sidelines. And if there's ten and a half minutes left and we're only down ten points, my quarterback better not be acting like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, well, we're down (laughs) just years over. Uh, you know, we can all focus on whether the short passing, whether the play calling was to blame, but when they focus solely on the short passing game, and, you know, you can't just stare down your wide receiver on a seven-yard out in the fourth quarter when that's all you've done is throw short all day. If you don't have a rifle arm in the NFL, you better protect the football. And 
three playoff games, six turnovers, three of them in this year's playoff game, plus the whole emo kid attitude. It's just tough for me to see him having much postseason success unless he changes. Okay, well, here's the thing. I really, I, being who I am, and I, and I guess if you don't know me, I really enjoy interviewing people. Like, I love having guys like Connor on, talking to people who are passionate about what it is, you know, like Connor's passionate about the Gamecocks. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy talking to people that work for organizations, that work for colleges. I love interviewing people. I wouldn't, I don't think you get a whole lot when you interview professional athletes. So when you watch those post-game shows, you're going to see a coach throw a bunch of cliches at you, and you're going to see the same thing from players. I don't think those players are in the right state of mind to say really anything after a game, win or lose, that's going to make a whole lot of sense. You know, we saw Jamison Winston get, get some comments about his grammar. The guy just won a national championship. Let him go celebrate with his team. You know, don't, don't stick a microphone in his face. I know that's not the society we live in nowadays. But anyway, back to Andy Dalton. I think Andy Dalton is still a young, growing quarterback. I, there's very few quarterbacks that can come in and, you know, lead their team deep in the playoffs really within the first five years of their, their career. So I don't know how many times we've said it this year, but I'm going to say it again. His nickname is the Red Rifle. I am still behind the Red Rifle, uh, especially fantasy draft-wise. I am all over that guy. You know, this guy started the year, I don't think, unless your team, unless your league had 20 teams, I don't think this guy was starting on a lot of fantasy rosters. And he's certainly built up to starting just about everywhere uh, the, at the end of this year, and I think he's going to continue to do that. Yeah, he's got uh, got some growing pains, but like you said earlier, Nick, with the with the game plan that Cincinnati had in that game, it didn't it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, with those those short passing games, I've seen them do that. There's been some defenses that give AJ Green that underneath route, and they just throw it to him all day long. Obviously, he only had three catches last week, but they they don't have uh, the coaches there that can adjust that. And I think with Dalton, as he goes, as he stays there and matures, I think you're going to see him some, some better things from him. He threw 34 touchdown passes this year compared to 22 interceptions. Um, Peyton, Peyton Manning in his third year threw 33 touchdown passes and 15 interceptions. So uh, year, four of that, year four of Peyton Manning's career, he threw 26 touchdown passes and 23 interceptions. So we will see how Dalton does in year four. Obviously, Manning's kind of had some, some issues there too, but I just I have wrote, written a little bit about that, uh, Dalton, and getting some heat this week. So I, I kind of put that in my, in my queue. It's something, certainly something to think about. I'm not saying Dalton is going to be the next Peyton Manning. I think he's just going to be a very nice player, and he's going to get better. I like him. I think he's really 